I'm going to let you remain seated this morning as Pastor Ben has already read our text for us, but I will remind you it was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We have been talking about God's all-encompassing reach and how he reached down, reached out, reached in, reached up, and one day he's going to reach back. So we'll wrap it up this morning by talking about his reaching back. One day Jesus will come again. I'm glad that he did not leave us without a helper, that he is still with us very real in a very real way through his Holy Spirit. He explained that to his disciples. But one day, physically and bodily, he is coming back. And uh, I'm excited about that. I, I would love for it to happen this morning when we were singing it as well. I was ready to have a premature rapture and just us be on out of here this morning. I don't know about you, but uh, while we're here, we're here to make him known, to reach as many people. I was so excited. This week, wouldn't you know it, uh, just a few days after Easter, our new chairs came in, and so we made more seating available this morning. Now we've got to fill that up. We're almost filling that up. With the kids in here, we were about uh, to fill all of that up. So uh, if you didn't notice, there are a lot more chairs in here this week than there were last week. And so that's, well, not last week. Last week was Easter. We pulled out all kinds of extra chairs last week, but uh, more chairs than normal, right? And uh, so while we anticipate his coming, we want to make him known to as many people as possible, uh, not only in this place, but when we leave this place that we would leave on mission for him. So I pray you'll be encouraged to do that as we look at the text. Before we dig in, let's go to the God of the word and help ask his help in understanding the word of God. Father, it is your breath in our lungs, and we do want to pour out our praise to you today. Lord, we, we live in a sin-sick world where we are here to make you known until you come again. Provide us with the encouragement, the motivation, and the hope that we need today through your word to stay on mission for you until you come again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you found your place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 18. And while you're finding that, let me ask you a question. How many of you are anticipating some kind of trip this summer? Anybody anticipating some kind of trip? Maybe a vacation, maybe a mission trip, something like that. You're going somewhere. Some of you are just anticipating school being out, right? But, but anticipating a, an opportunity to go somewhere. Nothing like anticipating a, a trip, is there? Especially if it's a good trip, somewhere you've always wanted to go. When I was a kid, that trip was usually a place called Six Flags, you know, when I could, uh, as a kid, just kind of dream, stay up all night. You know, man, tomorrow's the day. No wonder we were exhausted when we got there. We stayed up all night anticipating that trip when it was coming, or that trip to the beach, that trip to go on a vacation, to get away, to experience something new, up to the mountains, you name it. We would anticipate that, or a mission trip, to trip to go and and make a difference. Man, you uh, have a trip to go somewhere, and you get excited about it, and then some of us, as we get older, we anticipate once we're there, the trip back home even more. Anybody live with a homebody that just couldn't wait to get home by the time you got somewhere? You know what I'm talking about? All right, yeah. A lot of us are like that. I just, I, I didn't lose anything in Florida or up in the mountains or at Six Flags or Disney World. I, ain't nothing there that belongs to me. I am happy at home. Now, here's the cool thing about a Christian. We're anticipating a trip. We're anticipating the trip of a lifetime to a place called heaven that Jesus has been preparing for us. But not only that, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, heaven is our real home. We are citizens of the saints. 
And, and so for us, that trip is a homecoming where we come back home and so many people are already home and we're looking forward to being with them, but more importantly, being with Jesus. In this chapter, we would have, up until verse 13, have read about the importance of, of, of loving God and loving people and living holy and, and, and set apart in a godless world. Those are hard things to do this side of heaven. There was a, a kind of a specific concern there in verse 13 that's mentioned where he says, we don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, that's a euphemism for death there. They have biologically died, right? But they are spiritually waiting for that resurrection. In fact, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus told the thief on the cross today, you'll be in paradise. So this is not even soul sleep. This just means that the body is sleeping so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. He wanted to offer them hope. And there's a, a consciousness there for the dead who are in Christ, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, that uh, they are aware of the presence of Christ. They are in the presence of Christ, but they're longing for the day of the resurrection and receiving a new body and, and looking forward even one day to what's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so with this anticipation, there were those in the early church that were very concerned. They were concerned because they had heard that Jesus had come and he had lived and he had died and he had risen and that through faith in him, one day we would spend eternity with him and that he was coming back. And he had not come back yet and now they had loved ones who had experienced death and they were thinking, they're going to miss it. They're going to miss out on the return of Christ. Oh, if they had only been able to live till Jesus comes again, then they could have experienced it. And Paul was saying, you don't have to worry about them. You know, you don't have to be concerned about those who are dead in Christ. And he answers those questions that we all have about the return of Christ. And so the first thing I want you to know, when, when Paul says there's some truths I want you to know, the first truth this morning is that there's a conditional statement. By conditional, I mean this is applicable only to true believers, this is applicable only to true believers. Now, I believe that this is a message that's available to all people. Forgiveness, redemption is available to whosoever will. But the reaching back of God through his son Jesus is only applicable to those who have put their faith in Christ, faith and trust in Christ. Look at verse um, 14 in this passage. The word in, in the Holman says sense. The better word is if, because this is a conditional statement here. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. Now, even if you read it as sense, obviously he is still referring to believers. But that Greek word can be translated either way, and it's a conditional clause. It is for those who have believed Exactly what it says here, that Jesus died, that he rose again, and that one day God is going to, in the same way, bring those with him who have fallen asleep in him. If we believe, the word for believe there means put your complete trust in Jesus. It's not intellectual consent. 
It's not saying, I believe that Jesus existed, that he lived and died intellectually. I, I give consent to that. It's believing with our hearts, as Romans says, that, that God raised him from the dead. And then as Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, verse 6 says, it's believing that he's able to reward those who diligently seek him. We're giving our lives to Jesus in our faith, trusting in his, first of all, his, says his death here, his atoning death, believing that he died for our sins, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, according to the scriptures. Just like God had said Messiah would come and be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace would be upon him, by his stripes we would be healed. Just like scripture foretold, Jesus would come and die for the sins of the world. That means we have to acknowledge that we're sinners. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Again, we talked about it this morning in our life group that sometimes people have a difficult time even acknowledging that they have sin that separates them from a holy God. They're kind of like, I'm okay and you're okay and who needs religion anyway? But the Bible says all have sinned. And in Romans six twenty three, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those are words that many of us have take, taken for granted for many years that we know that. And we've got a generation today that doesn't know, doesn't understand that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that we needed a Savior to die on a cross and shed his blood for our sins and die in our place. Because we can't be good enough. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. I remember going door to door when we were doing something called CWT. Pastor Terry remembers CWT, Continuing Witness Training. And uh, we were sharing, and, and as we had learned how to share the gospel, and, and there was a gentleman who said, well, I've been a pretty good person, so I think that will get me to heaven. I think I'll be all right. My good works way outweigh my bad, and I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments all of my life. And, and so he set me up perfectly, and I was able to say, so how many times a day do you think you sin? I mean, how many times, honestly, on a really, really, really good day, a bad thought, um, you got angry at another driver when you shouldn't have, or maybe the sins of omission, you didn't do something you knew you should have as a generous act to somebody you work with or whatever it may be. How many times a day on a really good day, you might have struggled with lust, whatever the case may be. And he said, probably only three or four times. A day. And I thought, man, he's pretty good. Pretty good fella. I said, let's just go with three. That's three sins a day. 365 days a year. And we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you had a good day every day during the year. And we're going to round that down, even though that would be over a thousand sins a year. We're going to round it down to a thousand. And when you Live to how old you think, you know, 70 years old. And yeah, I hope I live to be 70. I said, so you're going to stand before God who is holy and awesome and infinite, who is a consuming fire. And our sins would be destroyed with us. And you're going to say, but God, I'm a good person. I only have 70,000 sins to account for. Can I come into heaven? And the truth of the matter is it would only take one to cause us to be unqualified for heaven. And we've got a bigger problem than that because David said, listen, I was conceived in iniquity. We're born sinners by nature and by choice, and something has to 
cover that sin, and it's only the blood of Jesus if we believe that he died for our sins. God made him, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. A wonderful transaction happened when Jesus died for us. That's that our sins were placed on him, and when we put our faith and trust in him, his righteousness is then placed on us. So the good news for those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have trusted him, turning from sin and self and trusting in Jesus, is that now when God looks at you, he sees the imputed righteousness of Christ and not you in your own sin. And then we, we can't stop there. He says if those who believe that not only that he died, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about these who are asleep, who in Christ that believe Jesus died and rose again. Don't leave that part out. I can't tell you how many times I've heard preachers say, listen, Jesus died for your sin, so all you have to do is ask him into your heart and your life. I want to say, wait a minute, you stopped short. Going back to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again. Without the resurrection, we haven't shared the gospel. Without believing that Jesus died and rose again, we haven't appropriated faith unto salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is in vain. And Paul says, look, those of us who are preaching this message If Jesus wasn't literally bodily resurrected, then our preaching is in vain. We have no power for life, no power over death, hell, and the grave. So here's a conditional statement. If you want this to apply to you, if you you want to be able to say, man, I'm excited about the day that Jesus comes again. And I don't want to miss the bus. Ever been a bus you didn't want to miss? (laughs) Or as, as Tom here, when he shares his faith, he tells people he don't want them to miss the boat, right? Isn't that what you say? I don't want you to miss the boat. We don't want to miss the boat. When I think of missing the bus, I always think, when I was a kid, the movie Superman came out, right? I'm talking about the old one. It didn't have the special effects they have today, but Superman came out. And those who made honor roll, I can't remember if that was fourth grade or fifth grade, but those who made honor roll were going to get to go see Superman. We were going to get on a bus in Danielsville and ride to Athens, which was just getting away from school was like heaven, right? And so we were going to get on a bus. I didn't want to miss the bus, so that meant I had to work hard. I had to study hard. And I made honor roll so I was able to get on the bus. And so many times when we talk about the second coming of Christ, we feel like we've got, I've got to work hard. I've got to do good. I've got to impress God. And then maybe I won't miss the bus. Now listen, when Jesus comes again, by the way, it, it, he's not going to be mistaken for Superman. <laughs> But far beyond all of that, when he comes again, it's not going to be because you made some honor roll that you did good, you did this, you impressed God. Our righteousness, the Bible says, is filthy rags, but it's when we have put our faith and trust in him, then we're not only not going to miss the bus, we're already on it. We're just not home yet. We're already on our way. It's a conditional statement. It applies only to true believers. Ask the Holy Spirit to... Confirm in your spirit. His spirit, Romans 8, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if you don't have that peace this morning, don't miss. Don't miss when Jesus reaches back for us. 
The second thing I want you to see this morning in this truth that Paul wanted to drive home is this is a certain statement. It is very certain. He uses emphatic language to say it was anticipated joyfully by true believers. Again, we're coming back to uh, the condition was for true believers. Now it was certain that true believers were going to get in on this. The second part of verse 14, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. Verse 15, he said, you don't have to worry for we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. God is showing us the truth himself. He says, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. It will happen. Remember before Jesus died, his disciples were starting to see how things were not going so good and that he was going to die. And he says, listen, in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is all good. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will what? I will what? Come again, right. I will return. If I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He said, don't don't let your hearts be troubled. My my father's house has many mansions. I'm, I'm preparing one for you, and if I go, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. And sometimes we're like the disciples in Acts chapter 1 after the ascension of Christ and they're just gazing up into heaven like we would have been. Probably just the, their jaws had dropped and they're like, wow, we just saw Jesus ascend from the earth. And the angels begin to say to him, don't just stand there gazing into heaven. This same Jesus that you saw taken up from you, he will come again in like manner. Just as you saw him taken out of this world, you will see him come back. Jesus had told them they needed to be waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit because he would first descend through the Spirit of Christ and empower believers to do his mission. But we sang a moment ago. We're looking forward to a certain day when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. I believe some Baptists are even going to shout and we're going to say, no, 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 you couldn't shout on earth, you can't shout in heaven. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my soul? The same Bible that told me that Jesus was coming the first time to die for the sin of the world. The same Bible that said that he would be born of the seed of Abraham. The same Bible that promised he would be out of the tribe of Judah. The Bible that told me he would be of the house of David, that he would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. The Bible that told me he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The Bible that promised all of that, all of these impossible prophecies to fulfill, all of that coming true in Jesus Christ. The same Bible that told me he was coming to live and die and rise again is the Bible that tells me he's coming again. And if all of the first things that were promised came true concerning his first advent, I have every reason to believe that everything that he's promised concerning his second coming will come true. I may not understand it all, but I can believe it. In a moment, 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, where the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Look at verses 16 and 17 back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's very personal. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. 
and with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That's the exciting thing about it. It's it's, it's his presence when you get to the book of Revelation and you see the new heaven and new earth, the wonderful thing about it is, is, is eternity in his presence. And so if you don't love spending time with Jesus now, then heaven might be hell to you because it's going to be all about being in his presence and spending time with him. He personally descends from heaven where he has been our advocate seated at the right hand of the Father. When you see the shout, the trumpet, the the voice of the archangel. In the Greek, there's the absence of an article, which some believe is a construction saying these are one and the same. It's not three different sounds that we hear, but that he's elaborating on one sound that, that there's, a, there's a shout. And as, as if Paul is saying, let me be more consistent, the the trumpet of God, it's the voice of an archangel. This is going to blow you away. And even Paul couldn't wrap his mind around everything. And John, when he sees more details in Revelation, so many times could only say it was like or as it were, the best way I can describe what I was seeing, which was so indescribable, are these words. Perhaps that's why in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, Paul says it's a mystery And so we have to interpret all the passages concerning the second coming with with enough humility to say we don't have all the ifs, ands, or buts figured out, but we know with certainty that it's going to happen, that Jesus is coming again. And so we anticipate with humility a departure. And we also anticipate that there's going to be tough times before that departure. Remember, they were a persecuted church in the first century. And we can get all caught up this morning, and I have a reason for kind of standing where I do on the whole pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pan-trib, and, you know, all pan out the way God wants it to. I have a reason for believing where I stand, but I would say this to you, church. Even though I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, there seems to be great persecution coming on the church in the last days. And people, we, we need to be prepared to suffer for the name of Christ. And, and to anyone who might come from a post-tribulational perspective, I would say we also need to be living ready to stand in his presence at any moment. Because I don't see anything that the Bible says would have to be fulfilled before Jesus takes us out of here. Either way, we need to be ready to face persecution, and at the same time, ready to stand in God's presence because even apart from the rapture, he has permission to call any one of us home anytime he gets ready to. So it's a mystery. It's mysterious like it is to a a child, a a baby who's becoming a toddler. You, You ever notice the cool thing about these Small children, these, these, these babies that are getting a little bit bigger and their, their minds are starting to notice the things around them. There's a time that, that they're thinking that if mom or dad's not visible, that they're not there. And you can, there, there's video footage of this on YouTube and places like this, but you can, you can see parents disappear from the view of a child. And the child cries, and as soon as they see the parent again, they're happy. 
It happened so quick that someone had even posted a video of a baby swinging. And, and, and when the baby would swing, dad's head would disappear behind a fence or something as the baby would come down. Then he would go up and he would smile. He would go down. He would cry. He would come back up and smile. He would go down and cry and come back up and smile. Because to not see it meant it wasn't there. And then as they get older, they realize that, okay, just because I can't see mom, you know, when we're trying to get them to sleep in their own beds through the night. Well, I can spend some time counseling parents there. We're trying to get them to get through the night without crying. And mom and dad's here and we've got you. We're taking care of you. As children learn and, and grow and mature and, and, and discover those truths that mom and dad, they really are here even though I don't see them, we, we begin to comprehend something about Jesus and the fact that his spirit is with us even though we don't see him. In John chapter 3, he says it's like the wind. We see the effects of his presence, but we don't always see him. But one day he's going to reappear, and with great joy, like a child, we're going to say, there he is. I knew he was here, and now physically, bodily, I see him. There is a certainty to Jesus' return. But he didn't leave us as orphans. His spirit is here confirming that every day. And then here's what Paul really wanted to take, or these disciples to take with them, these early Christians that this is a comforting statement. He's saying, look, we who are still alive will be caught up, verse 17. In the Greek, that means to be snatched out. A Latin version of that, rapturas, that's where we get our word rapture. Somebody will somewhere one day say something to you about, well, the word rapture is nowhere in the New Testament. Yes, it is. It's just that in the Greek language, it means to be snatched out. God's going to reach back and take us out of here. In the English, we translate it, in most translations, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This is a comforting statement affecting the lives of true believers. It changes how you live. It gives you hope, especially if you're like these early believers who were brokenhearted because they thought the loved ones had missed out and that they were going to miss them for all of eternity. So in verse 18, he says, what I've just told you, I want you to take these words, learn these words like we had them placed in the Apostles' Creed a moment ago, and he says, therefore, encourage one another, or in some translations, comfort one another with these words. In the Greek, it's parakalete, it's where we get the word paraclete, which is sometimes a reference to the Holy Spirit as the comforter or the encourager who lives within us. It means to call alongside of, to encourage, to bring comfort to. And so if we combine the English ideas of comfort and encouragement into one word, that's what we see with this word. What was the encouragement here? First, it was to avoid the discouragement and hopelessness that this world seems to offer. Jesus is coming one day to make all things right. God wins. I've read the back of the book, and Jesus wins. And so it's to help us to avoid that. We live in a sin-sick, sin-fallen world where bad things happen. There is war. There are, I uh, heard yesterday about an increasing number of gang members in places like Athens, Georgia. There are gangs. There are atrocities like abortions and its victims, not only the babies, but the young mothers who are led astray. 
There are those who are mocking Christians. There are those who will put you down for being a creationist and believing all this starts with God, even though we would say, man, it would be absurd that it would start any other way. All of that going in the world, listen, we are encouraged because Jesus is going to make it all right and make it all clear. And we'll all bow and proclaim that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Second, to encourage or to motivate us to live out our calling. He's been dealing with the, the God's will, God's plan in this chapter to live a sanctified, set-apart life. And, and so if you're here with me this morning and you're battling temptation in your life, and you're going, how long am I going to struggle? Listen, Jesus is going to reward you for your victory in those areas. So live a life of purity. Live a life of godliness. Live a life of loving people that are sometimes hard to love. Live a life of staying on mission for him. Be concerned because one day it will be worth it all, as the hymn writer said, when we see Jesus. It will be worth it all when we see him. You'll be glad that you honored him with what you said and what you did. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, be steadfast. This is the resurrection chapter we're talking about, 1 Corinthians 15, that gives all the arguments for the resurrection of Christ and our need to believe in that. He closes it out by saying, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. You will be rewarded for your service to him. And third, this morning he says, encourage or comfort one another because there are grieving souls still here. My words at any funeral, I pray, are the words from Scripture that will encourage those that are still here. You know, a funeral is not for those who have gone on. It's to bring encouragement and hope and comfort to those who are still here. And when that person is in Christ, we know we'll see them again. And so I'm looking at people this morning that I know somebody can come to your mind that you say, man, I miss them. I know they knew the Lord, but I, I missed them. I, I wish they could have been at that birthday party. Next month, Mother's Day is coming up, and some of you miss mom. It makes it a little more difficult. There's graduation coming up. Man, we got a bunch of people graduating from Trinity this year, but there's some grandparents that, oh, I so wish they could be here. Man, I, I miss them. Wish they were here. Wish they could be a part. Father's Day around the corner. Wish we could see someone, don't we? Some of you with little children, school is starting. Wish somebody could still be here to see them with their backpacks on that first day of school. And then in the fall, it gets tough. And in the winter, because Thanksgiving comes and Christmas comes, and oh, I wish they could see this moment. Here's the comfort. <laughs> We will see them. If they are in Jesus, we will see them again. Yeah, we, the first part of this reminds us we're going to see Jesus first, and that's what we're excited about. But we're going to know as we were known, and we're going to enjoy them again. On the authority of God's Word, I can tell you this morning, church, that we will see Jesus face to face, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And we will dine, according to Matthew 8, 11, we will dine with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and know who they are. And we will reunite with saved loved ones. 2 Samuel 12, David has 
his own baby is now taken into heaven because he dies. He says, listen, I can't bring him back, but one day I can go and I can be with him. I can join him where he is. It's a comforting statement. But until then, until he calls us home, we've got work to do. We forget that, don't we? See, God didn't call us to put on robes of white and go stand on a cliff somewhere and guess the day that he's coming back. He gave us a job to do. And while we get excited about it, don't let the excitement about his return cause us to lapse into a lethargy this morning. Any of our seniors, high school or college, got what I call senioritis already? Y'all know what senioritis is, right? For the younger grades, they just call it spring fever because they've got to come back in the fall. But for seniors, it's called senioritis. And in high school, they almost plan nothing of substance from this day to the end of the year because they know that these seniors can't get their mind on the work they should be doing because they're just ready to be out of here. They're just so excited that, man, man, I am going to be out of here. I'm going to be away from this school. Some of us thought we were going to get as far away from Madison County as we possibly could. God brought us right back. See a few others in that same boat I'm in, right? So many of us get senioritis when it comes to the second coming of Christ. Man, I'm just so glad Jesus is coming. I can't wait till I cross over Jordan and step into the promised land and I'm in his presence and we want to sing about it, we want to celebrate it, but we forget we've still got some work to do. If you're breathing... This morning, there might only be a couple of you, you might want to check your pulse, but if you're breathing this morning, it's because God's not finished with you. And he's got a work for you to do until he comes again. That's a work to do with your family. That's a work to do in this church as a part of the body of Christ. That's a work to do in this world as you are here as ambassadors of Christ for a short time. One year we were on a retreat at Panama City Beach. Back when that was actually more of a Christian retreat center than it is today. <laughs> we were on a retreat at Panama City Beach, and I remember walking out and having a devotion and picking up sand in my hands on the beach, and, and I let the sand uh, fall through my fingers, and there was one grain of sand. And this thought occurred to me that that grain of sand that I was looking at, compared to all the sand on all the beaches, on all the oceans, in all the world. That grain of sand was bigger than my life compared to eternity. And yet, we will live for self rather than for Jesus in this life. One day he's going to reach back, he's going to take us out of here, and only what's done for Christ will last, right? So make sure you know him. Make sure you're serving him. Because when he comes, I want him to find me busy doing what he called me to do. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?